Welcome in to Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf and Gavin Shaw here continuing to talk about the questions that you all had for us today, talking about Portland. Could the Knicks potentially look to move Julius Randle there in exchange for the number three overall pick? If you asked us like a year ago, that would have seemed crazy. Not so crazy now, so we'll see about that. Also talk about why the bench fell off the way it did against the Miami Heat and one of my favorite topics, the jerseys. What should the Knicks do for their jerseys next year? You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. All right, welcome in to Locked On Knicks, and today's show is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app. Create an account and use code Locked On NBA for twenty dollars off your first purchase. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. And we want to thank you guys for making Locked On Knicks first listen today and every day. Whether you're checking us out on your favorite podcast platform or taking in sights and sounds on YouTube, we appreciate you making us a part of your daily routine. If you haven't already, become an every day or hit that uh, notification bell on YouTube and that auto download function on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. Because even though it's the off season. There might not be quite as much to talk about. We're still here talking about it. So if you need your Knicks fix, we're always here for you. Uh, I'm Alex Wolf. I'm editor-in-chief of Knicks site, The Strickland, as you can find Strick.land. He's Gavin Shaw, your favorite play-by-play broadcaster's favorite play-by-play broadcaster. And we've got a doubleheader question here to start, Gavin. These were our mailbag questions that we took uh, via Twitter, via YouTube. Uh, we got them from a bunch of different places. And actually, this first question, sort of similar uh, came from both Twitter and YouTube, so I'll read off both parts. First one comes from Jordan Bub at Bub Jordan on Twitter. If Portland wants to trade the third overall pick and the Knicks' own first-round pick this year and trade filler to the Knicks for Julius Randle, would you take that deal? And what would you do with the third overall pick? Uh, would you pick Scoot there, Scoot if there, or would you trade down to get a better fit? Uh, and then Stefan W off YouTube, I think from the either the comments or the community tab. So shout out to YouTube. Mailbag question, if Portland and the Knicks were forced to make a trade focused around Randall going to Portland, what would the Knicks get back in return? So a lot of Portland discussion. I think it's certainly an intriguing one, Gavin, because Portland, as usual, finds themselves in a scenario where they underachieved this year. They have Dame Lillard in the prime of his life, in the prime of his career. He put up arguably one of his best years of his entire career this year, and yet Portland was terrible. Mm -hmm. Uh Uh, on the overall so he seems to say that he wants to stay there the smart move would probably be to trade Lillard at this point but (laughs) they seem to think you know if he wants to stay there they should keep building around him which would potentially make trading for Julius Randle appealing to them okay first of all let me just let's just talk to Portland for a little bit you're nuts it's Mm -hmm. insane trade Damian Lillard like I I have a stake in this from a Knicks perspective I would want Portland to do the stupid move, and that would be trading for Julius Randle. And and yes, I'm sure they could they could be pretty decent with those two. They could be the five seed or the four seed, and they could 
losing six games in the second round, just like the Knicks did. Whoop-de-doo. That'd be amazing, right? Portland's only been doing that for the last, I don't know, Alex, 20-so uh, years, 30, 30 or so years. We've, mm-hmm. we've seen Trailblazers teams be good and ultimately underachieve. And maybe, maybe a few Portland fans watching saying, hey, we've been better than you guys. Sure. Congratulations. Uh, they're not winning an NBA championship with a Damian Lillard, Julius Randle core. I, I hate to be it, – it pains me to be the bearer of bad news here, but that is reality. That being said, I think you're right. I think that's the direction they want to go. Even if they could rebrand around like a Scoot Henderson-led team um, with Shaden Sharp, who looked amazing last year, right? Let, let's let's say that as like a 19-year-old. Sure, he didn't play any defense. Sure, he was kind of inconsistent. Like the dude was like flying, like literally flying, bombing threes. Um, I wouldn't mind, like honestly, like a Randall for like Shaden Sharp plus other stuff package would be appealing to me as a Knicks guy. But let's look at this from the Knicks perspective. They don't want to take a step back, right? I don't think there's a world where the New York Knicks want to be a worse team next year than they were this year, which makes this trade on the surface very unlikely. Um, I think there's two arguments for doing so. One, in trading for the number three pick or, or the guy who the number three pick becomes, the Knicks think that is a better trade chip in a star trade than Julius Randle, which to me holds a lot of weight, right? Because a team that is trading their star is going to be rebuilding, presumably, and is not really going to want a Julius Randle. They would love the number three pick. Or if you could get a wing who projects as like a multi-time all-star, like a Brandon Miller, because we keep saying that's kind of the one type of guy the Knicks are lacking, and we don't think RJ is going to be that guy, at least in terms of your traditional three-level scorer star. But what do you think of all that, Alex? Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at too. Yeah, first off, yes, I agree. Like Portland literally might have Scoot Henderson dropped in their lap right here. And in what's being largely considered one of the more talented draft classes of the last like 20 years. Um, and yet if they were willing to do something like this, then sure. And now from a Knicks perspective, yeah, I'm I'm there with you. Like I don't I guess for similar reasons, except for more justifiable. Like if it's Scoot Henderson that's going to be there, you're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place, right? If you're the Knicks or the Trailblazers, where it would be like this guy is so talented. And yet from the Knicks perspective, you have Jalen Brunson already occupying that spot. And then it's like, are they going to play together? Probably not. Like, cause you can't really see a world where Scoot Henderson is that good without the ball in his hands yet. Like he's going to also Emmanuel quickly. Yeah. And also Emmanuel quickly exists and you want to still get him time. Quentin Grimes exists. You want to still get him time. You know, so it becomes hard to justify that, um, much like it would be for Portland, who's like, well, we have Damian Lillard, except for the difference being like Damian Lillard is like eight years older than Jalen Brunson. And so that sort of changes the timeline aspect of that whole thing where it's like, well, maybe for Portland, again, you should try to trade the the older guy who's still producing 30 point per game seasons and get the maximum value you can right now. But that's neither here nor there because uh, that's not what they seem to want to do. So then if you're the Knicks, like, yeah, if if the Hornets take Scoot Henderson at two, then I feel like then you'd be like, all right, we'll take Brandon Miller. You know, I think that's that's a pretty easy call. He's he's a wing. You know, he's a great scorer, um, would probably fit exactly what the Knicks would need out of that spot. And then I guess you just elevate Obi Toppin to starter. Uh, it creates a bit of a conundrum as far as Grimes and RJ. Like, do you move RJ to the bench? Like, what are you doing? Or, I mean, in reality, Brandon Miller would probably come off the bench first, number three pick or not, considering it's Tom Thibodeau. But eventually, that would be a problem to have down the line. Um, and uh, But if if it's Scoot Henderson there, I think my plan would probably be try to trade back 
acquire more talent, you know, get still stay in that top 10 and get yourself a really good player. We talked about Taylor Hendricks a ton. You know, maybe you do that or try to trade for a star. And I don't know who that star is, but, you know, then the Knicks have maybe what Portland doesn't, which Portland has the third pick, but they don't have much else to entice somebody to make a star trade. So their level of star that they can go after is probably more of a Julius Randle. But the Knicks, if they had a number three pick in, in tow, could then go to some other team with a star that they're willing to trade and say, hey, we've got the number three pick and Quentin Grimes and, you know, R.J. Barrett potentially or like Emmanuel quickly, like you take your pick of the guys that they have available and all the picks they have available going forward. The Knicks can put together a really appealing package. So maybe it's just sort of a, a, a first step for them. But yeah, I, I'm with you. I think that could be an interesting move if Portland would be amicable to it, of course. Yeah. Yeah, I'm 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 with you. Um, and I want to, um, I guess like discuss like the ceiling there. Like if the Knicks were able to get a Brandon Miller and like what that would look like down the road. Um, but first, uh, Alex, I want to talk about our friends, um, over at Game Time because buying tickets to your favorite events, like ultimately, right? You're you're going to the event for it to be fun. It shouldn't be. A stressful thing and, and that's why game time is the best because it's a fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports music comedy and theater near you with killer deals on last minute tickets and their best price guaranteed you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hype for all the fun that you'll have because game time is the place for last minute tickets you don't have to plan months in advance you can get tickets right up to the day of the event for pretty much any event you want like whether it's sports concerts comedy theater and the beauty of it is the game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. And what I love about it is you can buy tickets in seconds and tickets are sent directly to your phone. So you never have to dig through your email. I had a thing, Alex, where I was going to a Clippers game um, a few months back in LA. And it literally took me about 25 minutes to start buying the ticket to actually like have the ticket on my phone ready to use it. That's not what happens with game time. So snag the tickets without the stress with game time, download the game time app, create an account and use code locked on NBA for $20 off your first purchase terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code locked on NBA for $20 off download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All right. So I want to look a little bit more like the Brandon Miller angle of this. And of course this is contingent on the Charlotte Hornets not taking Brandon Miller, which would make a lot of sense for them because they're also in the same situation as the Knicks and the Trailblazers in that they have a franchise point guard already making Scoot Henderson a little bit less appealing. But let's just say like the Knicks, um, like like he falls to three. Like to me, that is where it would be worth taking a step back. I don't think the Knicks want to do that. I don't think the Knicks are going to do that. I think it would be wise in the sense that you look at the age of most of these guys and you have a window here to do it particularly if you think Jalen Brunson is going to age how I think he's going to age and you can still make a consolidation trade. Like you, like whether it's Miller really excelling as a rookie and like, all right, like all of a sudden, like he's the guy you're doing, like, I don't know, maybe one for one for a Brandon Ingram, um, which again, to your point, like maybe Portland is like trying to follow that same logic and they take a guy like that and they try to make that trade. But if you're, but again, if we're living in this hypothetical world where the Knicks can pull that off, like I, I think he could be a key to doing that. Or it could be a key to saying like, all right, like this is a guy who's going to be a 24 point per game score, great shooter, very good defense. Like we can justify moving off of RJ Barrett because he's just ultimately going to be a better version of someone like him. And I think Miller, like his, his ceiling is just in a different spot than RJ's. It's obviously in a different spot than Grimes. And then the case for him is like the Knicks just don't have anyone like that on the roster. 
outside of Julius sometimes, like when his head is on straight and when he's shooting great, which, which you can't always count on. And you certainly can't count on that in a guy with like an even higher ceiling than that. So I, I think there is some appeal to Miller in that like you can use him to justify a trade that moves you forward immediately, or you can build around him and this Knicks young core and like let this mature into a championship team. And I think ultimately that's how a lot of title teams are built. It's like when you take a good team and you don't accept that it's just going to be good and you do something to propel them to greatness, even if that delays the process a few years. Yeah. And I think the thing with Miller too, is like, he has really good size. Like I could see a world where he eventually matures into more of a four at the NBA level too. Like, or certainly a guy that can sort of float between the three and the four. He just probably wouldn't be there as a rookie. So it's like, it's like you said, you know, you sort of just put yourself in a position then where it's like, it's worth taking half a step back to eventually take like three big steps forward. You know, like if he, if he matures into the player, you think that he can be. Um, And I think that he would, he potentially could, you know, he, he's got all the tools. Obviously there's a reason he's potentially going to be the number two pick in an extremely stacked draft. Um, There's, and if he falls to three, I think that the Knicks would find themselves in a situation where like, you could justify trading that pick, but it would sort of feel a lot like, like, Oh, are we potentially trading away? Like, you know, the next like Jason Tatum or something here, like, because he really has that sort of, that sort of feel, you know, when you look at just how good he is, like scoring the basketball at the collegiate level, the like perfect NBA size that he has and everything else, it it would be really hard to justify not, taking him and not plugging him in there if you're trading Julius Randle for that. The other thing to consider here too, and I mean this would be this kind of flies in the face of all the stuff we talk about as far as continuity and stuff like that, but you do sort of open yourself up too where if you if and again, this all hinges on this we should just preface, we're playing fantasy basketball here right now, like this it's probably unlikely that this trade will actually happen, but like if that would happen and the Knicks end up at the third pick and then Brandon Miller becomes available, you still have all the same young guys and all the same future picks that you had before. Yes. Mm-hmm. And and so there's a chance that maybe you just even take Brandon Miller and then still move like some of the guys that are already on the roster for a more established player that can then keep your timeline about where it was, but where you now have a Brandon Miller on the team uh, on a rookie deal, which is super valuable. So, um, yeah, there's there's a lot of ways to potentially make this work moving parts wise if it would be on the table for them. But again, that comes down to a big if. I do think probably the most likely thing that would potentially happen here would be the scenario that we laid out uh, in the last segment, which was the Knicks. If they're able to pull this deal off, they get that third pick. They would probably want to get it in advance so that then they could potentially look at deals where they could use that third pick to get a more established star to some team that that maybe finds a Scoot Henderson more appealing uh, than the Knicks would. Or yeah, then can I, can I throw one out there, Alex, real quick? Sure. I, this is just kind of bouncing around in my head. I don't think it's a thing because they would have to move their other picks in another direction. But if you were the Knicks, and, and maybe you could argue that Portland should just want to do this directly, but could you acquire three and then trade it straight up to Orlando for Franz Wagner? Because they need a point guard and they might think Scoot and Paolo has like a higher ceiling than they're ever going to have with Franz and Paolo. But if you're the Knicks, you get a giant wing who could 
to your point, maybe play some four down the road. Um, who's an elite, who's an elite shooter. I think someone who like in the prime of his career is going to put up like 24 points per game pretty efficiently with really good defense. Like that's the kind of guy, if I'm the Knicks that I, I kind of want to fill out this roster next to Jalen Brunson. Yeah. I think that, I mean, I definitely think that the Knicks would do that deal potentially. And, and he's, I think the Franz is fantastic, but again, I, I feel like in that case, because it would be such an easy fit to make with like salary, you know, and all that stuff with Franz still being on a rookie deal. I feel like Portland would just cut out the middleman in that case and just do that themselves. Although maybe they don't feel comfortable with. I was going to say, do they, do they think he's good enough for like, yeah. I, and, and then look, Randall obviously struggling the postseason, but we're talking about a guy made second team all NBA next year. Like he's still a step above what Franz is now. That's very true. Yeah. And obviously like for all the talent that Orlando has, they still were not that great this year. Yeah. Um, but through no fault of Franz Wagner, but yeah, maybe with, with Franz and Paolo, they're like, eh, you know, it would be more beneficial to have this point guard. Maybe you come up with, uh, maybe there's even some version of a three teamer there where yeah. you end up doing it between the three teams, like on draft night. I don't know. It's intriguing. Uh, it's certainly something that I'd, I'd be interested to see. Uh, if, if it's even on the table, I don't know. Portland is just going to be such an interesting team to watch i feel like this offseason because i just feel like they're going to continue to just be desperate and reek of desperation trying to make stuff happen there's not even a guarantee that they're going to be able to keep the guy that they traded for last year in jeremy grant which is crazy too which could potentially further the the desperation they would have to get a guy like a julius randall too um so I, the next like month is going to be gonna be real interesting from an outside perspective and if i was a portland fan i would just be sitting here like grinding my teeth at this point because i don't know how they do it man it's it's got to be a rough existence right it's, now it's brutal because if they had, if they just somehow got a number one like there, there wouldn't be any ambiguity it'd be like you draft lemden yama you you have fun with him and dame for like a year or two then maybe like late career dame you trade off for like some supplementary pieces around him but you 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 have that beautiful like handoff of errors between those two and maybe Wemby's good enough like two seasons in that you can justify going all in around those two. But now there's like there's this real ambiguity introduced to the situation where Scoot makes those like this this draft is so interesting because the teams at two and three like don't need the guy who I would still argue is like probably the clear cut second best player in the draft. So it's it, it, like it's it's ripe for someone uh, and and maybe multiple someone's to make big trades there. Yeah, I guess it just speaks to the overall depth at the point guard position in the NBA right now too, that like a guy as good as Scoot Henderson, there's only like a handful of teams that it's like, yeah, okay. Yeah. We're, we're like not well enough off already at this position that, you know, we yeah. definitely want to add you in there. Um, but yeah, it's, it, <laughs> it'll be interesting. I can't wait to see what Portland does this off season. It's, it's going to be a fun time, but Gavin, we got a couple other uh, questions to get to here. Uh, including why the bench fell off the way that they did. And, you know, the, obviously we got to, uh, we, we just talked about the way the Knicks could make some seismic shifts, but uh, maybe talk about some more minute things and some, some things with guys already on the team. And then I'll talk in a sec about the uh, jerseys as well. One of my favorite little niche things with the Knicks, uh, what their jerseys should look like next year. Uh, and actually I, I don't have, too many notes so I'll, I'll talk about that in a second but uh we'll take our final little break here and then be right back to get into all those topics all right we're back into 
finish uh, this episode, Gavin, and we've got two more questions to get through. First one, uh, this is going to be funny because at the end, we'll see. Uh, we were told not to attempt to pronounce his last name, but I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah, uh, I want to also. Yeah, go ahead. No. <laughs> uh, Julianne Gathelier is what I'm going to say, uh, at Julianne Gathelier on Twitter. Why did the bench fall off the way it did in the Heat series? Lots of people, myself included, thought the Knicks had the better bench, but the Heat bench outscored the Knicks bench consistently in the series. P.S. You don't need to try to pronounce my last name. Well, Julian, uh, tell me if I got it right. And if not, then tell me how to do it right. Because I, I like I, I, I pride myself on good pronunciation. I think I'm going I'm going Julian Gathelier. Gathelier. OK. All right. We'll see. Is it Gathelier? Maybe neither of us are right. Gathelier, Gathelier or other. We'll we'll see. Maybe Julian will, will get back to us on Twitter to let us know about that. Uh, but Gavin, what do you think about the the Knicks bench and what the diagnosis is for why they they ultimately faltered against the Heat? Yeah, I like I like the term diagnosis because it feels like like if I were a doctor, I would say like this patient has like five different things going on and they're and they're all adding up to this person being in a lot of pain. And I think that's essentially what happened with the New York Knicks bench in the playoffs. The biggest thing was Emmanuel Quickly, who um, I, I sorry, Malcolm Brogdon was the best bench player in the NBA all season, um, was non-existent, and then he was hurt. Um, and I think if you want to look, maybe it's like more interesting to talk about it before he got hurt because that was that that's kind of the one factor that will, I mean, hopefully be the only thing that translates to next year. Um, and I, I think it was very similar to early in the season where he he wasn't exactly sure who he was supposed to be as a player, and he had a little bit of identity crisis, and he figured that out over the course of the year, and it was very clear cut. But I think in the playoffs, a little bit of doubt creeped in. Because, because let, let's zoom back to the end of the regular season. How was Emmanuel quickly getting to play? Jalen Brunson sat the last six or so games of the year. Emmanuel quickly got to be the guy in a very unambiguous way. Like he was the Knicks' number one option. RJ Barrett mixed in, Obi Toppin mixed in, Quinn Grimes mixed in. It all started with what Emmanuel quickly did. Come playoff time, he got to do that, but only for like seven or eight minutes per game. And I think he... He missed some shots. He got his own head. He said, am I supposed to keep shooting? Am I supposed to just attack the rim? Am I supposed to start passing? And the fact that he has, at this point, Alex, like a relatively well-developed, multifaceted skill set. Like we, like we talked about it on a pod earlier this offseason. Um, but his, his rim um, accuracy was dramatically better this year. His mid-range accuracy was dramatically better this year. His assist percentage went a bit down. But he continued to develop in some ways as a passer, like – but sometimes like when you have all those options at the table, like if I'm a chef and I have like a, a, a stacked uh, refrigerator, like I don't know what to make for dinner. And I think that was kind of the issue with Emmanuel quickly. He didn't drive off defensively, but offensively, like we can agree. Like, I don't think he knew exactly who he was supposed to be. Yeah. I, I think that's definitely uh, valid. And I, I think that part of it, I mean, part of it maybe is just confusion about what his role is supposed to be. Others just, I mean, I think he just also kind of had the jitters. Maybe those go hand in hand, you know, and there. I feel like he probably, much like a lot of the guys, put a lot of pressure on himself for not having shown up in the Hawks series either two mm -hmm. years ago. And granted, he was a rookie back then, so it's excusable. And, you know, I think maybe this time around, we saw it sort of manifest with him and with R.J. Barrett, and they kind of went opposite directions, right? Like, I think R.J. sort of zeroed in on a few things he was doing really well. And just did those and it worked to great effect. And Emmanuel quickly, to your point, kind of tried to do everything and instead did nothing, um, you know, which it will often happen. You know, I think it's just going to be a matter of going forward for him, just kind of 
zeroing in on like, okay, you know, and, and you know, he needs this clarity from his coach too, though, to, to your point, like it, it was on Tibbs or Johnny Bryan or whoever to pull quick aside and be like, all right, dude, like stop trying to do everything. Just go out there and like, you know what, let's just have you like work as like a spot up shooter off of Brunson right now, you know, go out there and, and just like get some shots up, you know, take everything else out of it, go play good defense. You know, that'll be good enough for now. Or like, okay, we're going to mostly just put you in with the second unit, work on getting your teammates involved. Don't worry about like having to do all these pull up threes and everything else. Like just try to try to penetrate and kick it out to guys on the perimeter and get them involved. And if that's not working, then maybe we'll revisit you like having to self create a bunch or something. Um, But that would have been helpful. Uh, But another guy, I mean, when we talk about guys that were being created for Josh Hart, I think was one of the big things in the heat series. He was, he started for part of it and then came off the bench, but either way, you know, he's, I associate him with the bench unit more so than, than starting. And part of the issue is that he couldn't shoot. He was, he was afraid to shoot. He was not making them when he was shooting. He was being dared to shoot constantly. And we've already sort of talked about that, like a bunch, like during the actual series and everything, but that was maybe, I mean, I, I hate to put it all on Josh Hart, like, cause he had a fantastic playoffs, but it, like, he was, if I had to pick out one player that was like the single biggest problem for the Knicks in the Heat series, it was probably Josh Hart, which is crazy because he does so much good stuff. Alex, can I throw this out there real quick? Yeah. If, if quickly was quickly, would Hart, would it have been easier for Hart? Like, like would, would Hart have just been able to fit into what he did during the regular season and w- would it have worked for him? Perhaps. Although, I mean, he was sort of, he was sort of playing more the Grimes role at times. You know what I mean? Like, I think that that's uh, uh, maybe, you know, again, maybe that, that changes if he has quickly to play with off the bench or whatever, but. And I feel like closing over him in. Like, yeah. So he's not exposed at the end of games. For that's, tr- that's true too. Yeah. I mean, maybe quickly would have, supplanted him as the closer instead of like there were times where he would be in there instead of RJ or Grimes, either of which seemed like a better option at the time. I mean, that mostly goes on Tibbs for not identifying that problem. And instead just kind of like saying, you know, Josh Hart's my horse. I'm going to ride him till he, you know, till the wheels fall off. And, and look, and there are good reasons for that. Like, like you want, like at the end of games, you always say, like, which team does the little things? Josh Hart does all the little things, mm-hmm. but the shooting was such a glaring flaw. To your point, like it canceled out those. And look, and like let's go back to like Cleveland. What was it, Cleveland game five or four, mm-hmm. where he made? I think it was game four where he made those big threes at the end. Miami, like they're they're winning home. Like he or or was it? It was game two. He made the corner three. So like he he did hit some big shots. He took some big shots, but it just wasn't consistent enough, right? Yeah, that's pretty much it. Like he, and more so than that, even it's like he had the willingness to take the shots sometimes, and yet other times he just seemed completely terrified. Yeah, so take them. Yeah, yeah. So it's like it, you're either one or the other, you know. And he talked about like he clearly has the green light, like because he literally talked about that in interviews. Like, yep, you get asked like what's different here versus Portland, and he'd be like, "Well, I have a green light here, and they have faith in me, and that's why I'm shooting better." Mm-hmm. And yet at a certain point, he just stopped having faith in himself yeah. uh, down the stretch of the postseason. Um, other than that, I mean, I I think we could both agree, right? Isaiah Hartenstein definitely wasn't a problem. He was, if anything, better than Mitch at times. And that's not an indictment on Mitch, but like, because Mitch was pretty good too. But like, I thought the Knicks got great production there. I don't know. For me, I think it mostly comes down to, it mostly comes down to Harden quickly in, yeah. in that Heat series. And because they were such huge parts 
of the regular season and Hart obviously in the Cleveland series and for them to be as ineffective as they were against the Heat, I, if I was going to distill the bench issues down to one thing, that it's probably those two guys. Yeah, um, let me – yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I, I think just on the margins, Isaiah Hardenstein was excellent. I think he could have made even more of an impact as a passer, which we saw him really start to find as the season went along. But I think the Knicks paid a little bit for Tibbs from day one not making that a staple um, for the bench unit and and not trying to work out sets around it. Because it, feel, it feels like when it worked, it was moments of improv, whether it was um, – uh, I heart and, and Josh Hart or I heart and Deuce or I heart and RJ. It felt like it was his savvy and those guys being willing to cut off him. And I don't want to like remove Tim's from the equation completely because maybe he sat those guys down for hours of film and said, this is open. This is open. This is open. Try this, try this, try this. Like we have no way of knowing that. And maybe even in the playoffs, he was pushing them to do it and they just couldn't execute it at full speed. But I think that was a matter of reps. And I think again, that's where like in the regular season, Alex, like it's so crucial to have a coach who's willing to experiment and is willing to be creative and is willing to push boundaries because you're not like against better, more focused defenses in the playoffs that take away your best actions and, and your and your cleanest pet sets. You need to have backups on backups on backups that you have already been drilling in live action for a full year. Because if not under the crucible of the playoffs, like it's not going to manifest out of thin air. So to me, that was a problem to some extent or another. Like I think that would have been a small part of the Knicks offense, but Four points here, four points there. That can swing a series, as we know. Um, and then two, or, or I guess four, maybe. Um, Obi, like, I don't think, like, obviously he had some good games. He had some good moments in the playoffs. But he lost part of what made him good. And, and I think a big issue was, like, he was getting killed at points in the Cleveland series and then at points in the Miami series for not boxing out and, like, preemptively leaking out. Like, there was that, like, play I always remember against Miami where he he just started streaking down the floor because he thought RJ was going to have a rebound in Miami. Literally just, like, got a completely uncontested layup because of it and then like he to, to his credit he started rebounding better but then you lose a big part of his game which is him like running those Hail Mary plays and not having quickly to throw him those passes you lose that as well so I thought that was kind of a source of easy offense that the Knicks lost at points though points OB was excellent in the playoffs so I, I don't really want to go full in on that take um if that makes sense yeah now I'm with you and and I think that's about as much as we need to maybe this is this is finally our chance to like almost close the door on the heat series because I feel like we've talked about all these issues now it's just going to be thinking about what the Knicks need to do to get better and fix those because I think I think even if we go back to our game pods you know our post game pods we it, these things have been on the table for weeks now mm-hmm. um and now it's just kind of on the front office and on Tibbs and on the players themselves to figure out how to fix that going into next year. Uh, so we'll move to our last question here. This comes from Scott Williams uh, from YouTube. And Scott wants to know, what sort of jersey do you think the Knicks should have next season as in colorway, special features, et cetera? Gavin, I'll, I'll throw it to you first, like, because I know you when we were in pre-show, you were like, this is probably more in your arena. But do you have any thoughts? Like, what did you think of the Knicks jerseys this year? Like, they had the yeah. – the so the, they had the traditional home blue and white. Uh, and then – also had the uh, the statement jersey, which was the navy blue with the the gold and orange accents, and then the uh, city edition jersey, which was the black jersey with uh, the orange and blue accents on it naturally, and the white trimmed uh, New York lettering on it. Mm-hmm. So, it, did you have any thoughts on this year's jerseys or anything going forward? Only one. Give me give me the green jerseys once a year. I, oh I, God. Yeah, once a year. <laughs> once a year. I, it's it's. I just like I, I I like being like 
I like turning on my TV and thinking I have the wrong game for, for five seconds. Um, that, that's all I'll say. Alex, Alex you, you're, you're more invested in this than I am. Go off. What, what do you think? Yeah, those green jerseys are disgusting. So I don't know if I could ever look at you the same again after that. Um, I'll, be, I'll be wearing one next pod. <laughs> I actually had one of those at one point. I, oh, wow. I, I found a mellow one on a clearance rack somewhere, mm-hmm. and it was like 20 bucks. And I was like, you know what? It's disgusting looking, but like for the meme, I'll pick it up. Uh, (laughs) But uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I've been I've been pleasantly surprised with what the Knicks have done with their jerseys the last couple of years. Um, I so I hated their their statement jerseys. The first two go rounds, The, the first one, the like one that was essentially just their normal home jersey, but where they just made everything like like pinstriped around the the lettering and stuff. That jersey was trash. Um, the like I called it the Florida Gators uniform. I thought that uniform sucked. The one where it was like the blue with the the uh, white letters with the orange trim. I I wasn't really feeling that design. But I love the one they did this year. I affectionately call it the uh, the Strickland edition uniform because they definitely uh, ripped the colors of my website, uh, whether they <laughs> acknowledge it or not. Uh, but I'm cool with it. It looks sick and it makes for a cool jersey for me to get to wear now. Uh, with the gold on it, which the Knicks had never used gold before, um, and the the orange, and then the navy blue. I love the navy blue, so I hope they stick with that. The way that the jerseys work now is they uh, statement jerseys they do for two seasons, so that jersey should be back next year. The city edition is the one that they switch up every year. So uh, that one, I don't know. Like I loved, so I didn't. I didn't like the first Kith collab, which I think all of them have been Kith collabs because uh, any of them with that NYC Nike logo, I think they're they're collaborating with Kith on those. So the first one that they did with the the City Never Sleeps New York Knicks like two years ago with the circle, I hated that one. I was never a fan of that jersey. The one last year where they, it was like the first, uh, or like the, the black one that looked more akin with the lettering and stuff to the early 2000s ones or like the late 90s early 2000s that spoke to me i like that a lot i liked that it was mostly black with just the the like hit of orange and blue like on the piping mm. um so i like those ones although i thought they needed a little more blue which they sort of solved this year but then they they changed the word mark up a little bit and made it more like I don't know, like a mix between like the early 90s or like the late 90s lettering and like their current lettering where they sort of like flatten it out a little bit because their current lettering is like flat across the chest rather than curved. Um, So I kind of wish they would have stuck with that lettering aesthetic on the New York part. But I I did like that they sort of just were like, okay, we'll do the black jersey, but we're going to add a lot more blue to it and still have a decent amount of orange on there. Uh, So I don't really have too many notes other than I guess like I think it would be sick if they basically took this year's design with the black, black, orange, and blue exactly where they were, but then just transplant it onto uh, essentially like the the '99 Finals jersey, where it's I call it the trapezoid jersey, where like the it, from under the armpit, the like um, side panels actually like flared out, and same deal with the shorts, like the the side panels of the shorts like flared out to be like bigger at the bottom. I always like that look. I thought it was, I think it's kind of a classic look for the Knicks since that was uh, their last finals run. So maybe bring that back and just like put the color scheme that you just had. So it would be black with the orange and the blue uh, on it on there. I think that would be pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So 
Yeah, I don't know. Otherwise, not too many notes. I, I like, and I, you know, don't touch the home, the regular home and away jersey. I think those are still fine as they are. I know some people like uh, try to say like the Knicks should do this huge, massive rebrand or something, but I don't, I don't like that. I, I like that their jersey is kind of classic. Like they're one of the original NBA teams. Like I think there's something sacred about that. So yeah. keep that in your main jersey and then use the alternate jerseys to have some fun. Um, so yeah, I think that's my only note. Like, no notes for Nike, which is weird because I hated their first few years of jerseys that they did for the Knicks. The firefighter jersey was stupid. Like salute to the FDNY, but the jersey was dumb. <laughs> um, and uh, I thought they did a pretty good one with the second City Edition jersey with the the um, checkerboard uh, piping and the oh, yeah. yeah, that one was cool. But otherwise, I mean, yeah, I think since they started team up with Kits, and honestly, since the the Leon Rose era, uh, which he probably has his finger on the pulse of culture a little better than like Steve Mills did uh, and, and focuses on that part of his job. I think they've been doing a good job. So, and Steve Stout uh, who's, who's been more quietly working with the Knicks, like Hopefully. yeah, social media and all that stuff. Like, I think, I think they've been doing a better job. So cool. shout out to the designers. Anyway, uh, that's it for this episode. Thank you all for listening. And we'll be back with more. Finishing answering your questions, we still got a bunch. So thank you all so much for asking so many questions this month. So we have something to talk about. But uh, until next time, uh, this has been Locked on Knicks, and we'll talk to you all soon. Peace out, everybody.